0: guys this is doug thanks for listening to what's the hazard i want to thank our sponsors for their dedication to the mission and their incredible generosity custom concrete specialists the nebraska department of labor on-site consultation group pml construction make you safe wearables srp environmental and liquid trucking company thank you all and now today's episode
1: So was that Mozart that we just played in on? We
0: played Mozart. Okay, that was great. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Or Brahms are one of those Okay. I think it's Brahms, actually. We play in on Brahms. Sure. And that was a choice from one of my sons. Okay. So when I was picking music. Very good. Um, Good morning, everybody. I'm Doug Fletcher, and you're listening to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, September 29th. Uh, September just went very quickly for me. Like that. I know. It was incredible. And uh, it's exciting to be here. I'm I've got a guest. I have. We had just literally met a few minutes ago. Yes, sir. We have been corresponding, and you—you you had the. I, I appreciate you reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Said you are going to be down here in Omaha, and let's get together and have a conversation. And so, thank you for doing that. I would love it if people that are traveling through the area and can make it on a Friday would do the same. Yeah, Todd Lucine. Yes, sir. I can't go through all of your. Credentials. And please man, don't, yeah. You have serious cred- credentials. Well,
1: those in a subway token might get me a right on a subway. Dude, no, no.
0: <laughs> I know what it takes to get some of those credentials. Okay. I, I almost got a PhD. Oh. And I almost became an engineer. And I, I had the other two for a little while. Sure. And uh so I, I know what it takes. So yeah. don't minimize what, what okay. went into that. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank and it you. is a pleasure to meet you. Um, thanks for reaching out. Of course, you are down here. You are involved in the ASSP, and you are you are from Wisconsin. Yes, that's correct. And uh, your ASSP, you're a, you're a kind of a high ranking official in the ASSP. It's yeah, it's an elected position. Nice. Um, well, well, first of all, I love
1: Omaha. Do this you? is a great town. I, good. Well, good. I think my hosts, you know, they've done a really good job of kind of good. showing us. Stuff and I, I do like this town, um, but I was supposed to ask you. Doctor Burns wants to know
0: what's up with your uh, membership. <laughs> oh, 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 Doris. Yeah, that's Doris. Right. She is relentless. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've told her on three occasions, Doris, that if you fill out the application for me, I will pay the dues. But I've tried to go online and fill out the application twice, and it kicks me out both times. Obviously, because of something I'm doing. But it's obviously something I can't overcome. So if she's willing to do that, I'm certainly willing to pay the dues. Your excuse game is strong. <laughs>
1: Did she say that too? <laughs> no, I just said that.
0: Okay, I'm so sure. um,
1: reason I'm here. Uh, w- I'll talk a little bit about the structure because, I mean, you, you have a lot of people come on and talk about what we do. Let's talk about the yeah. structure. So we've yeah. got the society level, and that's in Chicago. And the, the so you've got the staff. You've got the, the president and all that stuff. Um, and then you've got the board of directors, and um, that has a, a president who's Jim Thornton right now, a president-elect, which is Pam Wolowski, and a senior VP, which is Linda Tap. And I can't believe I remembered all that. And then we've got a, I believe it's a seven or eight member board of directors that works with them and the CEO. And it, they're, they're, they represent, you know all members, because it's a membership organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what they're doing is trying to offer you know, educational opportunities, um, networking. Uh, professionalism. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, they also, you know, work with government agencies, you know, to get the voice of the safety profession. Uh, they provide, you know, they, they promote uh, per student of uh, certifications, designations through BCSP. Um, so they then um, are part of the board of directors. And then there are four councils. Actually, now there's three. So there's the CORA, which is Council of Regional Affairs. That's where I'm under, I'm under the the umbrella of Cora. Okay, um, so we're the regions, and so there are eight, ten regions, I think. Don't quote me. Sorry, I didn't mm-hmm. know I had homework to do.
0: Uh, <laughs> probably ten. That there's probably
1: ten, and I'm five. Five is the Upper Midwest: the Dakotas, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin,
0: Illinois. It kind of mimics, mimics the OSHA regions In, to some degree.
1: Not not exactly, but yeah, very very Similar. close. Um, so. I have area, two area directors who oversee. You know, I, there's 15 chapters, 14 sections. I think there's 13 or 12 student sections um, because we got the universities in the area, and um, so they, they they're they're pretty much autonomous. I mean, they they operate within their membership. But what we found is if we get together twice a year, and I. Talk about things that the society has for them to offer. What the board of directors, what their initiatives are. We, we just talked about our strategic planning, our five year strategic planning. I have a board member here speaking, um, and it's just it's just giving the chapters the support they need to ask the right questions. And you know, previously I would go to these meetings when I was a chapter president, and um, we talk about a lot of. It was very much, you know, the standard, the guidelines, the the rules and things like that. What I do is we get together and we talk. Um, we go around the room. I, I gave a presentation I, because of my uh, PhD. I do a deep dive into their, uh, what do they call it, uh, chapter operations management t- tool, which is called COMPT. And I break down all the points and show them everything else to show that uh, when you enter in what your chapter is doing, you get... Points And then you get a merit. So it's platinum, gold, silver, bronze. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just trying to give them ideas of things they could be doing at their meetings, pre-meeting, things that are really easy to do to accumulate those points. And there are deadlines for some bigger parts of it. And and they, they got really excited about that. Versus waiting till the end of the year, getting a notification from you know, myself or society saying, okay, you got to go in and update your comp reports. And everybody's like, panic mode. I don't know no, what sure. to do. And then they try to figure it out. I'm like, you know, on a monthly basis, at minimum on a quarterly basis, go in there and just put it, you know, track what you're doing, brag. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, Upper Midwest, we don't brag well. Yeah, we really true. don't. Um, and I've been trying to encourage them brag a little bit because they do such fantastic things for their members. But there's always a, what more could we do? to get more people to go to our events, to get more members to sign up, um, to improve the way we communicate with our members. And so that's what we talk about. And we, like this morning before I came here, I wanted everybody to go around there and what's one thing you're going to do when you get back? And, um, it, 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 you know, they, have some really great ideas. They're going to try and, you know, update the website more often. Um, a better way to, to be more accessible to their members, provide we had a big long talk about posting jobs because mm-hmm. there's so many jobs out there. There are, but a lot of people don't know that you know you can post it on the chapter website and then the members get notifications. And um, I think we, I think we all, even when we're not even looking for a job, we're still
0: tempted mm-hmm. half the time. Oh, it's always interesting to see you know who and what. Yeah, it's really good.
1: Exactly, and so we also want to let everybody know too what training's available because you know the uh, for the CSP now. I think they enacted it. If not, I read about it. They're going to require five hours of ethics training. Wow. The CIH, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they already had that. And so for those of us who have both of them, you know, we mm-hmm. double dip. So, um, but that's, so we're, you know, they're saying, well, where can we get ethics training? And um, so as a region and as a society, we have to make that available to our mm-hmm. members. And I think that is a good thing to touch on for an hour mm-hmm. once a year because one hour equals 0.1 mm-hmm. credits. So
0: okay, let's. let's I love it. Yeah, let's move on. It's really a fantastic (laughs) organization, and I I know Doris gives me a lot of crap for this, but I've always been a proponent of the organization. I've been a participant in a number of meetings when I was with OSHA. We Mm -hmm. would give the OSHA updates. It was always great networking. I love the website. I don't know if you have any involvement in the, the local websites, if you're giving them advice, or if there's a template they're working from, but the websites are excellent. They list the events that are upcoming. They list the job openings. Everyone that comes to me and says, Doug, I need a job, I, have you checked the ASSP website first? Because mm-hmm. it's a great resource, man. So,
1: Yeah, it, and it, it takes some time to use. And that was another thing that came up the other day is that we had to do officer transition training. That's mm-hmm. what a requirement uh, but it's sometimes it's a little bit – it's not a direct, logical progression to find the training you need because once you complete it, it automatically goes into your personal profile, which is great with CEUs because if you get it through ASP, it automatically goes into your mm-hmm. um, per- profile. So when you have to fill out the form, it's all right there. Wow, that's When nice. you took it in uh, – yeah, it's, so that's, that's a big advantage I wish more members knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we just got to communicate it. <laughs> yeah. Really.
0: And that's what the point of this meeting the- – to some degree.
1: It is. It's just to get everybody on the same page. There are some people, because um, some chapters have a progression. You know, you get voted in as secretary and then approved as treasurer, vice president, president-elect, president. So that's like a five-year commitment. Mm-hmm. But as you're progressing through it, you're really understanding the mechanics of how a volunteer leadership position, um, what it demands of you. And um, and then past presidents are always there to support We also have jobs and people are going to school and people have families. So um, trying to parse out one's time is probably the most difficult part. Uh, But when a person comes in and because all the other people left, now they're starting from square one. And what we want to do is make sure that they get the support they need, that they have the resources they need. And sometimes eh, things slip between the cracks. I think we all know that. Um, and so the, that's what these meetings do. Mm-hmm. They try to identify who needs what help, or someone's like, I didn't know this was required of me. Nobody told me. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's move forward. And yeah. so, you know, I've got some. I've got a lot of homework to do when I get back. Mm-hmm. I I'm going to kind of summarize what they talked about. I have to reach out to society and get some answers to some questions they had. And I had a volunteer from the St. Louis chapter saying, Hey, I want to help you. So he and I are going to try and develop some sort of monthly newsletter. I don't want to call it that, but it's just going to be information that every chapter can pick out what they want. And then we're also going to try to say, you know, like a tip of the day or, hey, did Love you it. know? And I, I think, you know, doing like nine or ten of those throughout the year, that will move. Really the ne- the ne- It will. Yeah, yeah that definitely. sounds terrific,
0: man. I, and I, we we want to move on to some other things. Yeah. But I do want to say one of the comments that was made, you know, I had the group from the local Great Plains chapter had yeah. come in. They sponsored the programs and they came in for five sessions. It was really really interesting, met some new people, which I always enjoy. But mm-hmm. one of the things they talked about as a benefit beyond simply the educational opportunities and the networking opportunities was this opportunity to learn how to manage, you know, this, you know, wh- when do you get an opportunity to really run an organization? Right. And those skills are, are uh, those are not just necessarily intuitive skills. And so. right. And they're that's transferable. A great, that's a great opportunity. Yeah. So, so e- you started kind of in the ground level and worked your way up to this position, obviously. <laughs>
1: yeah. I originally – okay, this uh, confession. I joined ASSP <laughs> in 2005 in order to get the free study materials for the CSP. There
0: you go, man. That's Why it. wouldn't you?
1: I know. And then I, t- I, I got done with my graduate degree, started teaching at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and I went to a meeting down in the Twin Cities, uh, brought my students. And I happened to sit right next to Rick Pollack, and he was being nominated for – the president role, not nom- nominated for the vote, and he had been in ASP for a long time, kind of a a, a, you know, a person who was well known in the Twin Cities. He had his own uh, training business, and he actually went through Whitewater too before I even knew Whitewater was the thing. But he, you know, he asked me, "What can I do to help you?" And I'm like, "I'd like to get involved." So he put me on the editorial review board for the Professional Safety Journal. Mm-hmm. That, and then that led into uh, being a member of the planning committee for the Future Safety Leaders Conference and that's kind of where i made my mark you know cuz it, it you originally when i bring my students it was like 300 students at a hotel i don't have to say anymore do i <laughs> no. and we and what i said is you know this is a great opportunity to really develop the future and so let's make it uh, not competitive but let's reward those that really want to put in the time to learn and so it went from a you know a social event into something that was you know, we had sponsors come in we had mock interviews we had these great keynote speakers from all over the the nation and it just really turned into something different but then the pandemic kind of torpedoed it and it really needs to get back on its legs but ASSP learned some very valuable lessons um about where where they get their funds from and um, what is the uh, memberships and the public's appetite for online versus face-to-face? By the way, most of the chapter people like face-to-face. Of they really, because, I mean, it. it's hard to replicate that. But others who are more introverted or can't travel because they're busy, I think you almost have to offer that option. And they found that they, they had gotten more participation from a certain group when it is virtual. Mm-hmm. And so they're still really trying to figure that. And also during the pandemic, I had the position of VP for professional development so i i I got into that role then boom pandemic (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it was that would be it was a it was a stressful time and then i was also an academic and so all of a sudden i had to everything was online luckily i had a home studio Mm -hmm. you know not as good as this one but Mm -hmm. um, i had some of these lights and some of this other stuff Um, so my transition was very simple But my colleagues struggled struggled. and the students really struggled. You know, I believe so.
0: And um, both of my sons were in college during the pandemic and that was really difficult for them. In fact, it was interesting. One of them actually thrived in that environment. Sure. He he did much better. And the other struggled more, I think. Yeah. All you to do is tell the
1: student, could you turn on your camera? And I could tell if they were
0: sitting at, if they were sitting at a counter or a
1: table and you could see they had something out to take notes, mm-hmm. it looks like they had showered in the last couple of days. <laughs> I knew we were good. But if they were, you know, laying on the couch or hanging out in the Papa's on, they have their hooded sweatshirt
0: on. I'm like, yeah, they're not paying attention. Oh, <laughs> that is so funny. I can just envision my son, everything oh, yeah. you just said. Yeah. And I, I, did the the I did the best I
1: could to engage them and give them things to actually do, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was rough on everybody. And now it seems like a distant past, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It um, does. But it I, does. I, there, there were some things that came out of that whole ordeal. Um, uh, I think I'm a better instructor because of it. Um, you got to be patient with people because not all people are online learners. Um, and so with all my courses, I came up with a um, how to learn to learn online. And so that was like the first module. And so I would cover some of the basic materials. But
0: and how did how you do- acquire that information? Did you have to go? Figured that out yourself? Yeah, that was me. Yep. That's really interesting.
1: Yep. Um, I was, you know, I was, (laughs) to my wife and family's uh, chagrin, I was meeting with students, you know, on like a Thursday or Friday night at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, Saturday mornings. She's like, why are you doing this? I'm like, I got to go to them. This is when they're available. This is what they told me. Right. Um, And especially during the pandemic, they enjoyed the socialism and talking about their struggles, I think it's always better to if you're if you're if you're under stress or anxious, and to talk to others that are in the same situation, it helps alleviate, helps you cope. And so, I'm teaching a research methods class right now online to my grad students, and every week there's a couple therapy questions, mm-hmm. and they are very honest with. I am struggling. This is what I'm going through. Another one's like, so am I. Mm-hmm. Go to the office hour. He talks about stuff. Mm-hmm. Make a, an appointment with a librarian. She'll give you some tips to make things a little bit easier. Uh, because there is a lot of growing pains when you learn um, that you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the whole point of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And we could, we could talk for hours on that. But, but we all believe we're suffering in isolation. Yes. So typically, we don't realize that everyone is in the struggle. Right, yeah. Socialization is the best way
1: to remedy stress, the perceived inability to meet a perceived demand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Bob Karasik. Interesting, man. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, we, we could do okay. this for a long time, man. Now, so... We share something in common. Oh I yes, we was do. Very interesting that you pointed out when we were communicating. Yeah, we both bench press four hundred pounds. No, I'm just uh, kidding. And it's been a long time for me. <laughs> I no, done I can't that do in that years, much, man. No, that was a it joke. Looks like you could, but you um, it's the OSHA thing. You you were also you did you did a stint with OSHA. I did so, and it was how did that come about? Incidentally, how did you get into this in the first oh, place? Oh my Let's, gosh, serendipitously.
1: You, serendipitously is mm-hmm. that the word? Um, I my undergrad was in chemical engineering. And I found out probably junior year that I would probably blow up a chemical plant if I was put in charge of it. At least that's, that's what I had assumed. I'm like, this is scary. So then I used it but focused on environmental engineering. So I wanted – so I took you know air pollution control, um, wastewater, contaminated all these classes and applied to work for the Minnesota's version of the EPA, which is the Pollution Control Agency. And I was just waiting. This was 1993, 94. Not a good job market. Mm -hmm. And this is pre-internet, too, everybody. Um, (laughs) And lo and behold, OSHA, or Minnesota OSHA, draws applicants from that same list that I was on. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went and interviewed and found out I get to—I knew about OSHA, but not the level I should have— um, but they were going to – I came in as an industrial hygiene engineer. They're going to train me as a chemical engineer to do that, which is a natural, you know, easy to pick up. Mm-hmm. But they said, here, you get to carry a badge and tell people to jump or cry, and <laughs> you get all this equipment. And I'm like, sign me up.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. Oh,
1: and I – like a fish to water. I, every day I was learning something new. And seeing these companies, I, I was the guy who was always out on the road. I loved it. I, I hated when I had to go into the office to write up reports. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of that. Everybody hates that. Yeah. And I would try to maybe one day a week do that, but I would do one to two inspections a day. I've mm-hmm. uh, got very familiar with the metro area. I mean, you could say, oh, so and so in Egan, Minnesota. I'm like, I know exactly where that is because mm-hmm. I drive around so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and as you progress, you gain more insight into what am I really doing? Um, you know, do you really, I'll tell you a quick story that really led me to grad school. Um, went out and did a wall-to-wall inspection plan programmed for this um, sheet metal, not sheet metal, but sort of a, um, you know, they do custom work with metal and could barely find the place because it was some guy's pole barn. You know, out in rural. I know that place. Go in there, flash the badge. They didn't know what it meant. And the, <laughs> the owner was the HR director, was the head of engineering, was like, okay, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I've been there. And I said, so, you know, we went through the opening conference, you know, the whole checklist. And I said, okay, could I see your, you know, your OSHA logs? I don't have any. Okay. Can I see your uh, HASCOM program? It's right to know in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have that either. I said, do you have any safety program? He goes, nope. <laughs> As a complaint, I'm going, (laughs) cha-ching, right? Okay, how many can I write? We weren't like that, by the way. Um, Yeah, got to get that bonus. No, there's no bonus. Good for you, man. So then we walk through, a lot of things are unguarded, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of issues, um, and so it's like, oh, man, this is rough. I said, you know, could I have a few moments to speak to this employee, you know, out of earshot? Mm -hmm. And I said, so, um, how long have you been here? And yeah, I've been here a few years. And I said, so, you know, I noticed that there's no guarding here. I do people get hurt here a lot. And she said, no, I don't know of anybody getting hurt. And I said, well, what about this machine it has no guard? She goes, well, I know not to put my hand in there. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So we finished up and I had pages of notes and pictures and everything. And I said, all right, well, I'll I have to go back to the office. I'll see what I can do. But, um, I said, you know, I, I kind of heard a few things from workers, um, you know, has anybody gotten hurt? He's like, no, we've been in business 12 years. Not really. Nobody's really gotten hurt. I'm like, what? But then I also noticed later when I was driving back that every time we walked up to an employee, you introduced them by their first name and asked them something personal. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how'd it go? So that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Fast forward two more days. Uh, Complaint inspection. Fortune 100 company. I don't want to say who they were. Uh, Their safety director was very well known. Spoke at a lot of conferences. And so Mm -hmm. I go into their office and there's their their safety programs are like emanating this, this glow, you know, like,
0: oh. <laughs> we're just like, Oh, this is so great. Oh my gosh. I
1: polish them every day. So they've got everything they need. And you know, the, the injuries, nothing standing out. I said, well, you know, I don't know. Did you use the term drive-by before mm-hmm. drive-by sure. inspection? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that means they're doing so well. You just kind of get a tour and you're mm-hmm. out, you're out, you bust out. So uh, we went to where the, um, the location of the complaint and, um, clean, nothing's mm-hmm. going on. I'm like, well, for my report, I better go interview these two employees. Stay out of your shot. He's like, no problem. Talk to these employees. And they went off. This place is horrible. Mm-hmm. They don't care about us. People are getting hurt, not reporting. And I'm like, what? hmm So I went from zero compliance, but zero injuries. Right. To 100% compliance, and things were wrong. Mm-hmm. So I that really that's what led me to go to grad school. I wanted to know why, how does this work? You know, because I had been taught compliance equals safety, and so I started at the University of Minnesota. It wasn't what I wanted. It was human factors, but it was more of extreme type stuff and transportation. But uh, my uh, advisor introduced me to who became my actual grad school advisor down at UW Madison, uh, Dr. Michael J. Smith, um, and he's got his name on a lot of things. He's like the the most well-known, unknown person. Um, I mean, some of the things we know about what leads to a successful safety program, he researched that when mm-hmm. he worked for NIOSH. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had done a report that showed that um, the way compliance audits work, it's only going to actually target about t- what causes 25% of your injuries. Mm-hmm. Other 75% are other things, mm-hmm. which aligned with kind of what I was experiencing so I Oh well, yeah
0: I mean if you're looking at a Nosha 300 log and then yep. you're looking at so the citations you're about to issue mm-hmm. there's a very weak correlation between those things and that, that used to always confuse me too.
1: right and so yeah I studied under him and a, a bunch of other amazing mentors at uh,
0: Madison and so you Wisconsin Madison and this was a it was a safety program? No, industrial engineering. Industrial engineering. Okay. Yeah, with a okay. specialization
1: in safety, gotcha. okay. occupational safety and health. And I actually
0: got to teach a few of those
1: classes mm-hmm. because, I mean, the teacher who is the instructor, professor who was covering safety for that class was referring to me. Yeah, I became mm-hmm. the grader and then I actually eventually taught that class. Having had that background too, right. that
0: experience was uh, yeah. invaluable for them.
1: But I got some answers. Also, when I was going to grad school, kind of reverse of what people do now, I was working part-time at the state. In the Department of Health and Family Services, Um, and I was sort of an assistant safety manager. My boss was the head. And we had all of the uh, developmentally disabled um, adult and children population facilities. One of them was actually kind of under the Department of Corrections. All the rest were uh, mental health. That is an amazing field. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a lot and actually used my experiences for my dissertation. And, uh, it's just such a, I mean, we were talking about something in class and then go to work, you know, that day, take a bus up to the Capitol and I would try things out. And so it became my laboratory mm-hmm. and I, I just, it, you know, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, going through, you know, like a graduate degree and not being able to practice it. And so that's one thing that my students have now is they're all working adults we talk about something in class they go to work and they talk about it and they come back to the discussions and share that wow you know we're going to be doing this now mm-hmm. so it it's it just it was an amazing experience, and then you know I spent a three-year study. Can you tell believe. me a
0: little bit about what your dis- dissertation was about? Uh,
1: yeah. What I did is, do um, you know Dov Zohar, Dr. Zohar? He's the one who invented safety climate. Okay. So he was at the uh, Institute of Technology in Israel, and so he, he came up with it. It was the nineteen eighties when he published it. But the thing was, the instrument he used, and he what he was doing, he was comparing workers' aggregate responses to the to what would be considered if it's there it should be a good safety program to their accident rates. And he found a very strong correlation that the more workers perceived that management was committed to safety, he kind of collapsed all the items, the less likely they will have injuries. So I was like that's really interesting.
0: Is it uh, can I, can I yeah. is it a commitment to safety or a commitment to the employees? It's it's it was varied questions but more like do you have a safety
1: committee? Okay. Does do you know do you get training? Do they do all it? Oh, so see. it was like the elements. Gotcha. Um, and it was actually off of the uh, series of three papers that my advisor in grad school basically mm-hmm. was, was one of the researchers and, and authors. Um, but then what he, what he did is it, it got replicated a few times in the U.S. Uh, I think it was Brown and Holmes. It was there. It showed that they didn't get the same results. Um, but they they postulated at the end that maybe injury experience may be affecting safety climate. That was my dissertation. Mm-hmm. So I had this very big population, healthcare facilities, and I, d- I used an expanded version of Zohar's work. He, he spent like a three-year study at the University of Toronto with, um, uh, what was his name, Gil something. And uh, he came up with a sort of a, 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 it's an organizational and a local. So it had like a global measure and a local measure. Uh, so for safety climate, I modified it in the language to my population. I went through the whole testing of it, and but I had everybody's accident rates. I knew exactly what groups were getting hurt, how and when, and I had years of data. Um, and so I compared it. And well, I, again, I'm such a lucky guy. I Right at the end of the survey, I asked, have you ever been hurt? Did you report it? Did you lose time or was it restricted? And on a scale from one to five, how satisfied are you with how management treated you? That was the thing. So what I did is then I did all my analysis. And rarely do you get something that is so telling that whether they provided, you know, whether they got injured, a one, two, three, or 4, or 5 on their satisfaction was a perfect stepwise on their safety climate score. Their perception of management's commitment to safety was more dictated by how management responds to injuries than anything else. And here's the other thing, too. I had a big population, never been hurt. They had the highest scores. It hadn't been affected yet. But the people who just got injured and reported it, it went down substantially. It actually went down to the middle of how people felt from mm-hmm. a satisfaction perspective. And the other thing, too, when I was testing my instrument, I found out that workers actually adopt coworkers' experiences. So I was doing a behavioral mm-hmm. interview, well, it seems reasonable. and they change an answer. I'm like, you know, why'd you change that answer? Oh, because I answered it based on what my coworker went through. And I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, you know, I spent a lot of time over in the sociology and psychology departments. I I have like one credit away from a minor in both.
0: Um, <laughs> that's tough for an engineer to do, man.
1: But Step over into that. And that's that's why I did it. Because an engineer, we look at a person as more of a cog in a, in a machine. But no, they're, you know, they have a beating heart, they have a, you know, a brain, and they've got more important things to do on the outside. So uh, long story short, I know a lot of people say, what is safety? Uh, sending people home in the same condition they came to work. But a person can go to work and act very unsafe and go back the same way. So what have we really done? So my perspective is my, I'm trying to get workers to get their job done effectively as safely as possible, and hopefully elicit some satisfaction from what they do, because that's more motivating. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've done at this company that I've been working at this year part-time is going out, talking to workers, gaining their trust, and then they report things to me and... So when I'm going off on all kinds of tangents, no, and I no, apologize. How my brain works. This is good. I no, no, this is good. Um, when I first came in, what they had used was lagging indicators. You know, the, the ocean oh, numbers. Sure. And I said, this isn't how you improve. Um, what we need to do is have uh, workers report things. So it's not me doing a safety audit, JHA, um, that kind of stuff. But rather, what are the workers experiencing? How, it, it's safety as it's practiced if, in, in the context of work, and you know, they were very open and honest with me. And when they'd ask me a question, I'd get them an answer if I didn't know it right away. If they said something needed to fix, I pushed management and engineers to get it fixed. So I gained their trust. And so the the reports from them, will come observations, concerns, became my metric. And I wanted to have so many a month compared to previous months. And I wanted to have a ratio. I'm very big on ratios. Mm-hmm. So 20 observations for every recordable injury um, so many first aid cases to a lost time injury. I set up these ratios. I know it's predicated on like, you know, uh, Heinrich and Bird. Okay, it's not gravity, but I set some very um, difficult to attain goals and I met them within like five months. And the actual recordables, the actual things that people have to get like work comp for and stuff, almost none, you know. And the ones that have happened, it was someone overstrained themselves trying to open a broken window. Um, guy just said my, my foot hurts, no incident. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, knee just kind of went out. Um, and the other one was just, you know, they're just doing their work and it's like, oh, I heard something pop. That's all, that's mm-hmm. all it is. And so how do you do a root cause on that?
0: Yeah, those are really hard to attribute to. a
1: Yes. And then I also, I, I love analyzing data. I think that's, you know, what I got out of the d- graduate degree, but I do this, uh, I teach it to my students, this technique to analyze work comp data. Uh, because if you really look at it, if you, graph it, you know, on a distribution, it's asymptotic. It's not a normal curve. And for those of you who don't know, so parametric statistics are predicated on a normal curve. Almost all measures in the world have Mm -hmm. a mean and a median that are really, really close, and then they tail off. And statistics, what they do is they assume that relationship. So if there's a deviation because of a variable, they can see what likely it is that that variable caused it versus being a type 1 or type 2 error. Um, or whether they're correlated. They tend to move, you know. Mm-hmm. And what if you do graph the injuries, it's a lot. Of, one, one, a lot of them aren't even reported. But if you do it on some sort of se- severity scale, um, there are a heck of a lot more that don't result in anything that would be harmed beyond a Band-Aid or something like that. But then you've got just a few that are really high. And you do it with work comp data, OSHA data, anything. And I this happened when I was at the state too analyzing their data. But if you look at the average of like the cost of a work comp claim or the average severity, it is heavily influenced by us by the most expensive. So I teach students to we we graph the data, we break it out into different ways, we identify the outliers and we pull them out. And what it does is it brings the average and the median closer together. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that the lesson from Heinrich is um Gather more data. Don't wait for something bad to happen. And that's what I told the company is that these OSHA things you're worried about, it's a tip of the iceberg. You know, what we want to know is what is preventing the workers from getting their job done successfully. And it's proven to be very successful. I can show, you know, these are the observations and corrections you had before me. Here are the ones I've done. Look what it's turned into. And it's – the other thing, too, is you want everybody asking you questions. And so I've got the engineers bringing me into things. Uh, management is bringing me into things. I'm educating corporate on uh, what we're doing and, and the mindset you need and aligning it with their objectives. You know, these are things I teach in class. So it's like, I feel like I'm doing an internship or like mm-hmm. a fantasy camp, <laughs> yeah, fantasy yeah. camp. I'm right, a professor right. and I'm, you know, a uh, right. superhero at night. Um, and But it's, it, then I'm bringing my lessons and real life case studies to my students and they are blown away. You know, it's, it's no longer the um, the cut and dried, you know, this is how you do it. And everything's great. It's not like that. Go to any conference, talk to somebody and somebody will say, Oh, this is all behavioral based safety works. Yeah. It didn't work for me that way. It's like, okay, well let's boil, boil it down. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's been taxing on me. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I I'm so tired. Oh, yeah. uh, but, um, hopefully wrap this up then by the end of the year. And I've got a lot of material now to share. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just, I just love practicing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got that through OSHA. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there was always the <laughs> the employer who wanted to punch you. Uh, one time, I had to bring a sheriff to yeah, a. Yeah, we had. I've had that experience. Yep.
0: We had marshals that would accompany. Yeah, us Yeah, that's necessary. what we did.
1: That right. or I, we had a guy who was a new construction safety guy, and he was a college wrestler.
0: Mm-hmm. He was huge, and so i be like, George, <laughs>
1: do not you come with? <laughs> right. I, I need you as my 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 back. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. But, you know, I just I learned early, you know, halfway through my career at OSHA that um, I'm here to help people. Mm -hmm. Beating them down for not knowing something or beating them down for not having the time or the resources to get something done is helping nobody. But we had a few rogue inspectors in the office. Mm -hmm. And anybody who knows me knows exactly who I'm talking about, where they really just strive to cite as many things as they could. Like, come
0: on. They you got could. some kind of weird, sick fulfillment out of that. It is. Yeah. yeah. And so,
1: and we know how the system, I mean, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but we know well, how the we, system works. We,
0: we share the secrets all the time. Okay. You so,
1: you know, if an employer really wanted to get better, I I knew how to kind of like curve the the notes a mm-hmm. little bit. So to minimize the citations just to the ones that I wanted them to make sure that they followed up with me on. Right. You don't did.
0: want to, you don't want to beat them to the point yes. that they're so discouraged that they don't improve. Now, uh, right. it's just this animosity all that all of you build is just this hate right and i
1: mean i started when i was 22 i was 22 when wow. i started with osha and they made up rules because of me because <laughs> okay, i'm gonna admit to this okay this is kind of funny we get in there and we're assigned a group leader who's supposed to see, you know show mm-hmm. us around and there was a group of us who all started at the same time they didn't have pre-training at that time you just went with your group leader and it was more of like an apprentice mm-hmm. apprenticeship but he was super busy he was like the ih you know lead and I'm in the office, and they made the mistake of showing me where the complaint file is and how to check out a car. So I grabbed all the newbies, and we went and did inspections. and just took copious amount of pictures. Mm-hmm. And when they realized I was doing that, they're like, yeah, you can't do that. And we're going to create new rules because of you. So I, I love getting out and meeting people.
0: That's, you know, I, um, This is so interesting. So I'd like to go back and, and get your post-academic um, opinion of those two companies that you referenced when you first started that discussion the company that had nothing other than an obvious interest of the management in the well-being of their employees right and the company that had everything other than the trust of their employees i think that is very common mhm i see it i still see it as a yep. consultant and i think it's interesting because from an osha perspective you would typically beat the crap out of that the company that had nothing mm-hmm. and punished them in spite of the fact that their employees were working safely mm-hmm. in the absence of those typical controls mm-hmm. and the other folks who had all of that shiny you know fancy stuff but their employees didn't believe for a minute that they meant it that's a, such a fascinating and typical it so is what, what's your persp- i mean how do you view that now well I
1: mean, um, I mean, I think that the training I went through in grad school was priceless, you know, mm-hmm. cause I got to learn all the theory behind it and now I'm building case studies on it. Um, you know, there, there are things you still have to do, but for smaller companies, I think that OSHA should be, I, I don't, I think the increase in citations, I think they need to get rid of it because small companies are afraid. Mm-hmm. They really are because one citation is going to really hurt them versus larger company. They can absorb it. They can fight it. They have lawyers. Um, But I, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you teach the, and I don't like to call it this, soft skills. It's basically communication skills. Mm -hmm. It's social psychology. And it depends on how you view safety. Mm -hmm. Do you isolate it? That, okay, um, my job as a safety professional is to identify hazards and try to remediate. Is that all you're trying to do? There was a study published in 2003. Um, Patrick Cox and a bunch of colleagues, and I remember Nick Pidgeon had also contributed to it. I've come, I came across this by accident. Again, a lot of my life is by luck. And here's what they did: they were testing a new methodology called um, uh, thought modeling. I think is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, how do you come from, How do you define a problem and reach conclusion to it? Um, And I know that it's not the term, but that's I'm just trying to describe it for the group. Mm -hmm. And they had a safety professional paired with a worker. And one was a vapor degreaser. The other was dry cleaning. And you know the chemicals that were involved back Mm -hmm. in the day. um, Trichlor and um, you know what they are. And what they found is mental mapping. That's what they were. I knew it would come to me. The safety professional focused purely on the safety. The worker thought of the work first and then how safety could be handled. Mm -hmm. Safety is an attribute of work. And Mm -hmm. that that re... I recalibrated my entire approach to things that if we come in, it's like, okay, wear this guard that, whatever. If that's affecting how they're going to get something done, they're going to work around it Mm -hmm, or find a way mm -hmm. to work around it. Absolutely. And so we need to understand the work from the worker's perspective and then take that as a, you know, as one of the major factors in how we come up with solutions And, and also the hazard control, I have to teach it. But I'm like, yeah, the real world, not so much. Do the best mm-hmm. you can to eliminate it. Um, but you're likely going to have to use administrative controls and PPE mm-hmm. that for now. And, you know, until yeah. the company all of a sudden finds, oh, here's $2 million. Okay, now we can fix it. Um, but, you know, preparing people also is a great way to do it. But it really comes down to the, getting the worker to get the job done effectively because they want to be successful. They, that's Without what they're there question. for. Yep. How can we fit safety into that? Um, get them the comfortable gloves that also work. Mm-hmm. Give them the eyewear that's comfortable, but doesn't fog up and they can still do it. You know, it's, it, it's, it's trial and error, which is scary to say, mm-hmm. but you know, how did we get someone on the moon? We, a lot of failures, you know, <laughs> until it works. It, right. But I think, and I think that's the approach we need to take. So long mm-hmm. story short, um, I teach quality management techniques. I love Deming, uh, love Drucker, um, mm-hmm. or oh, Drucker's management, um, Geron, Geron's the other okay. quality and so data-driven decision making collect the data well, what data do we collect? well you have to look at each situation a little bit differently and you want to do a little bit better than you did the year before so <laughs> back to our osha days i used to travel around the state talking about osha record keeping and i want to apologize to every employer <laughs> I, I presented to because i i taught it from the perspective of 1904 mm-hmm. um have you have you downloaded and looked at any of the OSHA data that people have had to upload over the last five years? Any
0: of the, the electronic
1: reporting stuff?
0: I, I've I have clients that have to do that, so I see it from their perspective. But I don't go into the OSHA data.
1: I did. It be careful because it crashes computers because there's I'm so sure. much data. But you would not believe what it says. I mean, I analyze it really quick for some presentations. Mm-hmm. But there's a percent that is unusable because there's no possible way each worker put in. 100,000 hours.
0: I'm not kidding. Right. Oh, no doubt. Um,
1: or are posting incidence rates in the thousands. Right. So something's not – so that, that should have been corrected. But yes. if you look at it overall, it represents that asymptotic curve mm-hmm. I talked about. And if we look at ratios over time, what I found is that more companies are finding that ratio of uh, more no-loss time to loss time. They're improving and they should only look at themselves. We can, you know, like one thing I do is, you know, 10% year over year, 20% year over year. But if you go to the BLS data, which is underreported and suffers from the bias, oh,
0: totally.
1: um, you're, you're always going to look bad. And now you're focusing on the wrong numbers. Mm-hmm. How do we lower recordables? Don't record them. You know, it, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, so back to the original oh, thing about you, talking Todd. to people. So we, we need to see what the workers are thinking. And so I came up with a perception survey based on some of the work I did in grad school And I presented it to management. They're like, huh? Because maybe two questions are safety in it. All the rest are, do you get along with people? Do you feel cared for? Do Mm -hmm. you trust people? Can you get help? What do you think about the level of um, adaptability um, Mm -hmm. that you need for this job? All that stuff. Got some fantastic answers. You know, that now HR is like, well, now we don't even have to do ours because you let us know what people are really concerned about. They're like, when are you going to do it again? I said, in about four months. You know, I'll find out, did anything we've done over the last several months change? It'll be new, you know, it's it's something you do every day. It is trial and error, but the idea is document what you want to see and then what you do and see if it did it. Um, it's like I, in class, I call it the yesterday, today, tomorrow safety. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what happened in the past? What am I going to do today? What am I expecting in the future? Mm -hmm. Quality management is what it is. I'm sorry. I'm like going off, like everybody a
0: lecture. No, no. I love it. I'm really interested in it, frankly. And, um, a lot of what you've been describing, uh, were the issues that led to me leaving an 18 year career with OSHA. Really? Quitting. I didn't know this. Yeah, man. Tell me more. Uh, everything that you've just described, I was kind of, uh. I was an industrial hygienist, came out of engineering school, yep. uh, very similarly, very eager. I mean, I was—I almost idolized OSHA when I got that job. I thought, this is the pinnacle of safety and health, right? Yeah. And then there's a bit of the disappointment that sets in at a certain place because you realize sure. there's some challenges to doing this the way that at least I believed it should be done. And I think you and I are very like-minded in that respect. Mm-hmm. I got no pleasure out of beating up somebody that didn't deserve a beating. Right, and there were those were really few and far between, in my opinion. Certainly, it was challenging.
1: We can, yeah, we can control that, but it's still, I had to swing the big stick a couple of times, mm-hmm. and they needed it absolutely. Just wake up; those are the ones that need it. Yeah, and my new motto is: let's put OSHA compliance out of business. Why can't the safety profession not need compliance or enforcement because we understand that it actually contributes to the bottom line? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, uh, with this job i've been doing we had some hot summer hot days and they don't have Mm -hmm. air conditioning and so i use my engineering and ventilation knowledge Mm -hmm. to cool down the place at night and strategically place things and now i've got monitors all over the plant so i know the temp and humidity it's on my phone i could pull it up and see what it Mm -hmm. is and i set standards i said when we break this threshold people shouldn't be working here anymore it shouldn't be working that day Mm -hmm. and management was like are you sure about this because we've never had this before i said yeah you know if one person goes down you know it would be worth a week's worth of, of, of um, uh, production and sales and they did it and it was tough but afterwards the workers in the union were saying it's about time somebody looked out for us mm-hmm. you can't measure that kind of value you mm-hmm. know I mean what did it all come back to before is management does they do they care for me you know uh, will they respond satisfactorily mm-hmm. you know when something goes wrong that's what I got out of it
0: would you describe a little bit about how you engage the employees? You've done the surveys, oh, yeah. the perception surveys, and you're obviously out there rooting out information and gaining trust. Would you talk just a little bit about how that's done? Um,
1: some of it's just everyday pleasantries. Hi, how you doing? Just
0: walking the floor. Okay,
1: and if a person – I wanted reports. And so if somebody reported, okay, I, I got a little bit of a cut, put a Band-Aid on it. I approach them. I'm like, I am sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Is there anything else you need? okay, well, I'm, this is where I am. So if you ever have questions or concerns, come see me. Or if it, it came down to, I think they talk to each other. Of course they do. And I'd be walking around saying, hi, Somebody like, could you come here? I got a question. And I made sure whatever they pointed out, either I got a correction for it or I got them an answer. You
0: know, and that's simple.
1: Yes, it is that simple. And then I'd go talk to super people were coming to me this last week. I hate to admit it, but they're supposed to report to their supervisor when they get hurt. Mm-hmm. they people came straight to me (laughs) you know and so i made sure the thing is we fix things you know it's i I keep telling them if you don't know there's a problem can't fix it Mm -hmm. but first of all when one is stated you have to understand it right and it's it's about making things better so the workers are more successful Mm -hmm.
0: and kind of removing the obstacles to them performing the work that they are there they want to do anyway yeah as you mentioned
1: and one thing I left out um, – are you familiar with, like, Frederick Taylor and scientific management? Okay, this is, like, turn-of-the-century industrial revolution.
0: Mm-hmm. But his whole well, thing I was, was – there, so <laughs> I'm probably familiar from an experiential standpoint. I
1: think this is the last company in the uh, industrialized world that still does piece rate pay. Mm-hmm. Say, I mean, I brought in our loss control people. They're like, what can you do with piece rate pay? You know, they say, you know safety goes out the window. they got to make their money. It's about focusing safety from the perspective of getting them a the job done successfully. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I've built it. That's the way I, I educate. Our job is educating management. It's educating engineers. It's educating supervisors and supporting all their efforts. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I tell my students, you know, what's your first objective when you get out and get a job? They're like, keep the place safe. I'm like, no, make your boss look good. You know, it's, it's just changing the perspective on things. I view my students as the product I take to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So therefore, where do I get my feedback for improving my curriculum? The people who hire my students, Mm. you know, and when I hear something bad, I reassess how can I prevent that from happening Mm -hmm. again. And when my if I'm preparing my students to be the best they can when they get out and start working, then that employer is like, wow, Whitewater does a good job of preparing these students. And they maybe I'll take another intern later or look, you know, to hire. That's that's my approach. And it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy is what it is. You, know, you just have to realign things to get what you want, mm-hmm. For, you know, the whole thing. Oh, we're going to reduce our incidence rate. All you have to do is re- reduce the reporting of incidents. But what are you really doing? And it's the everyday things, not the big things. That's the other thing I teach my students. A little bit each day adds up. Mm-hmm. Don't try to always hit the home run. Right. I'm trying right. to teach my daughter that, too. She's in softball. It's right, like Just get on right, base. Right, absolutely. <laughs> we're going way off on lessons, but... Um, That's the, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and I do a lot of, I presented a lot of conferences, and we presented one last year called Stop Yelling at Me. How to deal with someone who's hostile towards you, because some people are, they've adopted the...
0: Specifically in the workplace.
1: Yeah, that, you know, your boss yells at you, mm-hmm. or workers yell at you, and how can you take that and make it a positive? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about calming yourself so you're not yelling, because you may have the right information, but if you're yelling at them, not communicating effectively, what's going to come out of it? Again... What do you want to try to get out of it? And so back to the social thing, going around apologizing when people get hurt. Uh, if somebody asks a question, how am I going to respond? That's, and that's what I was documenting. So if going, instead of going around finding fault finding, which that's the visual audit, mm-hmm. I'm going around finding opportunities. Mm-hmm. What can I do to help you to make your job better? Mm-hmm. It's that easy. It is. It really, easy. You have to have the personality for it. Mm-hmm. I'm highly curious, and I can pick up small talk pretty quick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I'll give you another tip. Oh, this I'm just you're going, like my little I'm, brother, man.
0: I am really <laughs> other than smarter. Ugh. But you're like my little brother. This is exactly. As a consultant, I go into facilities, and I and I know my clients look at me like, "When are you going to start doing some safety stuff?" I am. I started because I'm out talking with their employees, watching them work. Yep. You know, small talk so that they will learn to communicate with me, and when and they see me and recognize me, they won't run and hide. They yep. will. Hey, Fletch, come over here and take a look at this.
1: And you really have to take advantage of certain opportunities. So like when it was hot, um, people knew when we were going to shut down and there were signs up. And I trained them all and everything. But I went and got the supervisor said, you got to walk with me. We're going to go hand out ice cold water and hand out cooling claws." And what was cool was we dip it in ice water and then I put it around their neck and I'd bless them. (laughs) (laughs) The supervisors got so much credit for that. Mm-hmm. The supervisor's trying to help me out. You know, mm-hmm. they're giving me what I need to be safe and get my job done effectively. It, it, you, know, you, can't, you can't fake it. It has to be genuine. Mm-hmm. And we were. We were talking to people and it went so well. And I, I would, you know, quiz them. How much water do you have to drink? A bottle an hour. How much electrolytes do you need? One every two hours. You know, they knew. And I'd ask them, how, you know, how are you feeling? How are the symptoms? What can we do to assist? You know, people ask, you know, I was sweating, carrying stuff around. They're like, man, you need to take a break, too. I'm like, I'm the least valuable person here. Mm -hmm. That's a good attitude. I mean, it's self-deprecating, but it's a good attitude to take. And that's, we we serve. You know, we're here to serve the employer. We're here to serve serve the workers. Um, And if we do a good job of documenting what we're doing and how people are responding, we can really show our value. Mm -hmm. More than just preventing an injury, we're making production continue you know we're we're reducing the breakdowns we're reducing the people who you know I can't take this anymore, my back hurts, okay <laughs> I don't want to talk about fraud, but I'm sorry, some people take advantage sure, Be- certainly. and and I did notice that some people were using the safety edge on things to get stuff done that really weren't safety related, mm-hmm. but I was there to earn their trust, so right. I took it on right okay,
0: right <laughs> and I, and I think you know some of the some of the management people that i approach about some of these things will look at some of the concerns that the employees raise with from a different lens than the employee and they will kind of think it's minor or yeah. inconsequential and i'm like this is a small victory man just take the small victory yeah. it it's not going to cost you a lot it's not a capital improvement but it'll it'll affect them yeah and sometimes that perspective has to be maybe uh, recalibrated, perhaps.
1: It does, because you have to look at what is our natural response to things as humans. I mean, we naturally look for patterns in the world, and we assume that that is now a cause and effect. It's not true. At least that's what I was taught in grad school. Another thing is, so how does someone respond when someone gets hurt? Well, attribution theory indicates we blame the worker. Because if I was in that same situation, I would know better. Mm-hmm. Dude, <laughs> that was the other thing with OSHA. We had the luxury of compliance. You right. know? We didn't have to like, sell anything. <laughs> right. uh, but so w- what I've been really trying to educate people on is you have to fight that natural urge to blame. Did they get hurt on purpose?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Were they just doing their job and you know, we didn't figure out how to make safety part of it? We mm-hmm. made it an additional thing that they have to make a decision on. And so that took a while because initially I got there and they're like, oh, so-and-so, they were trained to do it, right? Why did they do it this way? The situation probably made it an acceptable choice. Sure, let's not blame. It. Let's figure out why it happened. And Whatever the context
0: it. was, you yeah. to understand that.
1: So all these things, if we were to look at today's you know up, up and coming theories, hop or human organizational mm-hmm. performance has all these principles in it mm-hmm. that I've been kind of playing with from a social psychology perspective since you know the the middle like two thousand six two thousand and seven mm-hmm. when I got done with grad school. Um, it works. But you have to be genuine with it. You have to document what you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And so let me ask you one question, man. Yeah, we're getting I you. I know you have to go to the airport and catch a plane <laughs> to get back, and we are going to miss out on so many things I wanted to talk to you okay. about. Um, my God, you're just overwhelming. Every time you say something, I'm, I'm, I want to jot it down so we can return to it. Okay. Um, and I don't even know what the hell the question was I was going to ask you because I have so many questions.
1: Well, let's do another one. that really, So did you ever have to do a uh, fatality? course okay yeah, so multiple my, fatalities. my first fatality I think I was very new I was a backup um, it was at a brewery and a, a guy fell you know passed out died in one of the vats he was cleaning mm-hmm. it between filling people think it'd be great to die in a vat but no no but anyway that was a joke yeah there I mean, were fatalities. No, really no
0: good ways to die that I saw it. no
1: so we're interviewing the the foreman six five even bigger than you he has Balling uncontrollably because the guy was his friend and he blamed himself. Mm-hmm. I had to leave the room. I had never been part of a fatality before. Mm-hmm. And I hear I'm just like, I had to recompose myself and go back in. But I thought, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just a statistic. It wasn't just someone completely screwed up. It's a friend, you know, mm-hmm. their life has changed. And so that really recalibrated how I approach safety that, um, you know, people, oh, I go sky skydiving, oh, I died. I'm doing something, I enjoy, and I happen to pass away because of an accident. These people are trying to earn a living, and they die? I can't think of a worse crime. Unimaginable. It is. Yeah. It's
0: just. I agree. What, uh... One of the things that I did for the agency when I was a team leader was make the phone calls. We had a monthly requirement oh, to call all of the, the uh, fatality victims, survivors, family mm-hmm. members, whomever that person was. And give them an update of our investigation. So I would save that to the last Friday of the month because I dreaded it. Mm-hmm. then I would go down the list and make these phone calls. And sometimes they would say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that would be it. And sometimes they would, we would just go back down memory lane and we would cry. And, oh, it was awful, man.
1: So, I mean, I think, I think every compliance officer has that story. What concerns me about today's education is that some degrees are completely online. They're self-learned, you know, all asynchronous where are they setting their baseline? I mean, I have a baseline right now because of that experience. It's carried my whole career mm-hmm. with like this heat stress thing this summer. My feet are dug into the sand. We are doing this. Come hell or high, I'll get fired over this. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to other people who have done that too. But I, I worry that oh, they can climb up the ladder and work on the edge of a roof. They'll be okay. Not in not in my mm-hmm. sight. And one of my first days, I was walking around with one of the uh, uh, process engineers and a contractor climbed up on the side of a scissor lift. Mm, mm, My resp- <laughs> he, said, he said, when we turned the corner, he goes, I was afraid of you. You, like, turned into this werewolf. Get down here now. And then, I, of course, I contacted the, con- you know, the contractor. I'm like, this is completely acceptable. Here's the picture. Can't do this. And everybody's just kind of like, oh, Todd's got it. <laughs> just mm-hmm. let it go. But I'm like, that is how people die. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times has he done that? And it will continue to do it. It never happened again. I mean, I yeah. it, it, this cannot happen. I mean, just little thing. We know what causes death, mm. and there can be that. That's where there's almost no gray area. Yeah. You cannot do that, right? Oh, I'm going to work on this thing. You better lock that out, and right. you have to verify it. Well, I'm just going to go in for a minute. I don't care, right? It, there are some, and, I, and again, it was that major experience. Where am I going to dig my heels in? Where is it? Like, well, let's talk about it and see what we can do. So, well, that's there's an that interesting
0: side. that's an interesting question too. I think companies have to determine for themselves how safe do they want to be. Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of a moving target. Do you want? I mean, if you want to live, eliminate all hazard and risk, you're not going to get widgets out the door. Right. But you can't allow certain things that we know are going to be, the, you know, kind of those antecedents to the bad outcomes. So right. You've got to really figure out what that line is.
1: Yeah. And if the, if the workers understand that, if they have ideas or concerns, and it's not, eh, it could be, yeah, someone could get hurt, let's talk about it. So I had, a, I had an employee come see me, and she goes, um, you know, when we're repairing one half of this machine, they want us to operate the other one, but I almost tripped over the guy who was working on it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to write it up. We're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so now I have to meet with all kinds of different departments that, what can we do? You know, can we set something up so that people aren't tripping over each other. And she also said she almost bumped into this hot glue tip Mm -hmm. that they had removed. I'm like, yeah, that. so in the repair process, which doesn't happen all the time, but while it's happening, what can we do to either isolate what they're doing from what you're doing? Or what can we do to just keep you busy, you know, getting stuff done, but not exposing you to the temporary, temporal, temporal hazards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's how would I know that unless she came to me, and right. why did she come to me because she had come to me several times before and knew that and I would respond results, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, one operator came in and he goes, "I just want you to know, I had this issue for five years, asking them to fix it, yeah, we'll fix it He goes, "I tell you, and two days later it's fixed,
0: mm-hmm. and is An it, outsider no less yeah,
1: I mean. and i and I'm not like boom, you know, got to fix this. It's just during the daily management meetings, I'm like, I've got a concern about this. Can we meet for one minute after this meeting? We go out there, you know, this could be bad. We got to fix it. Okay. What do we need to do? Blah, blah, blah. All right. Who's going to put on the work order, put on the work order. By the end of the day, it's done. That's safety, yeah,
0: you know, that's it. Man. Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh,
0: we could go on and on. We'll have to come and we'll we'll have have do, to this, do again. this again. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about academia. I'd love to hear about what your students are doing. I want to talk about technology oh, I and know, how that's I know. integrating into the future. Uh, there's so many things we could talk about. This has been fascinating. Can I add one thing to
1: the technology before please? we go? Absolutely. Before the pandemic, um, at the National ASSP Conference, they had a panel of experts and it was like, you know, the experts. And it's like, where do you see safety going in this is before the pandemic? they said, we see the future of safety being data wranglers. That's what they, you know, people who can collect big data sets, Mm -hmm. manipulate it, make sense of it. And I'm like, yes, that's what I love doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that could get me away from academia right now, if an insurance company is like, you know what, we want to find, we want to come up with a new innovative way to analyze the data. I'd be like, hello. Yep. That's Mm -hmm. what I love doing. Um, But with these wearable technologies mm, like our friends that make you safe that make you yeah. safe yeah um mm-hmm. uh west first name is tom tom tom, tom west mm-hmm. yeah he did a thing for my my students last week oh nice that you know with with ai if it can kind of like if somebody and i know it doesn't measure personal biometrics which i wish it would i mean if you see like a blip in which somebody has higher heart rates mm-hmm. higher blood pressure mm-hmm. higher temperature all these things are indicated we gotta go find out what's going on there and that's what I'm doing right now with sensors around my plant. I'll see a spike in VOCs, and I'm like, what's going on here? And they're like, I have no idea. Okay, well, if I can find a pattern, then I'll show up and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, and that's where it's going to be going now. And I know workers don't want to wear something that tracks everything they do. Okay,
0: There's a fear of that. But,
1: but maybe but... we can do like a sample of it and mm-hmm. compare it to, you know, I just, I think Tom's, well, that's not his name. Tom West. Tom West. Mm-hmm. So make you safe. Ha- I mean, that's it's going that way. That, mm-hmm. um, and this know, is
0: really in its infancy, so it's evolving it is. at yep. a pretty rapid rate. And I think we're starting to move in the directions that you and I would prefer to see. I mean, you know, it, it generates a lot of data. Yeah. And, he has, and somebody needs to do
1: something. You can push a data. button. They can speak into Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
0: And it reports
1: it. That's all they have to do. Yep. I mean, right now, I let's, uh, my workers, what they do is they can send me an email or mm-hmm. take a picture Um, They're not really comfortable with that right now, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I I guarantee I won't let anybody know who reported it. I think that's really important, uh, anonymity. Um, But uh, these wearable devices are getting better and better. And so, like, for heat stress, if we could monitor people's biometrics, Mm -hmm. even though we're not breaking some sort of threshold of heat load or wet bulb globe temperature, we know they're under stress. Mm -hmm. Let's go find out why. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So... We have to wrap. This I, up. Know, I know, I point... know. But <laughs> that reminds me. I participated many, 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 many years ago in a study that was being done by a friend of mine who was an exercise physiology graduate mm-hmm. student, and she was looking at like uh, internal pressures during deadlifting. Yeah. So we would swallow a sensor and then pull deadlifts, oh and she my could gosh. monitor this. You know, I mean, a swallowable you... transducer. Yes, man. Well, even back in the eighties, we were. And so to be able to do something like that with. As you were just describing, yeah. non evasive.
1: Yeah, a non evasive. Yeah. Because, okay, sorry, everybody, if you're eating right now, but in grad school, we had to read the research that showed whether uh, back belts worked. Mm-hmm. And that's when they talked about the high level of interdominal pressure. Inter abdominal, absolutely. And somehow they got subjects to put transducers rectally. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you like show up not knowing what they're going to ask you to do? That's
0: quite an incentive, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> But Bend yeah, over man. and drop
1: your pants. Uh, Transducer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I quit. Welcome to the study. Yeah,
1: you got to swallow them. Yeah, that's a little swallowed bit ours. Hope it wasn't the same sensors. <laughs> you
0: Probably, cleaned that, right? Yeah, they're, we, we had these extra sensors laying around. No doubt. Oh, my oh, that's God. Todd, this is fabulous, man. I I really appreciate your contacting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information is priceless, and what you're doing is really important work, man. So Thank you. Thank and you I mean, your thing, it. I don't know
1: everything. Just let everybody know. I've been talking about things, but... I'm just building on my previous experiences mm-hmm. and knowledge the best I can. And I'm very measured when I recommend things mm-hmm. as we need to be. I think we learned that when we were with OSHA. I had to mm-hmm. be careful what we said. Be careful. As, yeah. a, as an academic now and all the uh, letters and everything behind my name. Yeah, I'm very measured with what I say, but I try to make my things as practical as possible mm-hmm. too, which.
0: Without without question, that's important.
1: So important. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you bringing me in. Everybody well, we're going to put watching. your contact
0: information into the liner notes of the show. Yeah, LinkedIn is a great way to get a LinkedIn, hold of We can yeah, find you on yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm going to sure. send out an announcement with your name and contact information on LinkedIn. I yeah. think that. Man, you could go on the speaking tour. You could be Todd Conklin making twenty grand no an hour way. or something. No way, no way, no way. Without no way. question. No, very interesting yeah. stuff.
1: I, I do speak. I speak at conferences, and I do it because it's fun, and I mm-hmm. like to meet with people. But And you want to give that information. Know. You want to provide yeah. this information.
0: It's critical information. Yeah, That's why we do this.
1: Yeah, I and mean, the, the, the feedback's always amazing. I mean, I couldn't just, like, speak to a crowd if I wasn't interacting with them. Mm-hmm. You know, just like with, with workers, it's the right. same thing. And it's just, I, I hear... The issues, the stress, the anxiety, the plight of the safety professional. What more can I do? How do I yeah. convince management? Management likes data. yeah. And the data comes in many different forms. And so maybe maybe the next thing is I should go around and just talk about how to collect it, analyze it, and present it.
0: That would maybe. be really helpful. Yeah. And I'm that always looking a, for ideas, everybody. That would be a great presentation. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about that next time.
1: Sure. That sounds good. Appreciate it. All Have right. a
0: safe trip home. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been over. I, there's a lot to unpack here, so <laughs> you might have to go through this one a couple times. But we will, if you let me know the elements that you found really fascinating, we'll see if Todd can come back and uh, elaborate on that a little bit. So, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next Friday. Bye bye. Thanks, everybody. Ahura
1: Media Production.